So we're in, in 1 Peter, um, we're in chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll talk a little bit. Um, starting in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And we want to remind ourselves of what our mission is. Our mission is to live as disciples of Jesus. And we've said in Los Angeles, this is where we kind of make our abode. So we want to live as disciples to Jesus in this area. Some have asked over the, what's the vision of the church? Well, the vision of the church is to obey Jesus. How's that? Is that fair enough? And Jesus... And his closing words gave two commands. The one was, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. The second one was, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, all because you will receive this power. And so our vision is to be disciples and live as disciples who know how to make disciples. Actually, I don't think there is any other vision. That is it. That's our mission statement. We can do a lot of activity, all fine. We can do a lot of programs, very good. But unless they flow into that command that Jesus gave us, it actually misses the point completely. The point is that we live as disciples to Jesus wherever we find ourselves. And wherever we find ourselves, God's command to us is to make disciples, teach those how to live in accordance with the things that Jesus said. Not out of our good ideas, not out of uh, humanistic thinking, out, what, out of what Jesus has asked us to do. And there's, obviously the scriptures are full of what Jesus asked us to do. And so when we get into 1 Peter, as a reminder, this is a church that's been scattered for different reasons, but the church had gone out and were preaching the gospel. They were living as Jesus people, as disciples of Jesus, wherever they went. These people were in dispersion. They, you know, were in exile. They were under pressure. But they were still living as disciples to Jesus where they were making disciples. But under the pressure of all sorts of things, and we don't need to go into all of those right now. We've covered some of them. They, some of them were shaking, some of them were nervous, some of them were afraid. What is this all about? And Peter, this old, wise, now apostle, father in the faith, writes this amazing letter to a church in exile to encourage them. And th th this letter is really important for us today here in Los Angeles, because here in Los Angeles, it was like these people 2,000 years ago. We're under pressure as the church. The church has been marginalized, which... Where from my vantage point, is not necessarily a bad thing. Because those who stay are those whom God has truly gripped and say, I want to use you, and they're saying, please use us. Um, whatever. This letter can help us as a people in exile, a people who are under pressure, a people who are being, you know, 
people don't like to be with Christians so much anymore. They're old fuddy-duddies, kind of weird, you, you, whatever. And Peter writes into this to help us. Last week, we, we looked at the whole idea that even though we suffer for Jesus, whatever that suffering looks like, whether it's physical persecution, whether it's scorn, whether it's exclusion from things, actually, Jesus is with us. He's on our side. He, he told us these things would happen. They happened to him. And therefore, we have a way to come out the other side. And one of the key ways to come out of the other side is that we live as community, as Jesus' community in our world. That doesn't mean we lock ourselves in here, batten down the hatches, and just pray for rain and that Jesus will come back. That's not what we do. We engage our world at every level, whether it's the arts or business or school, whatever. We engage the world. But we come from the basis of belonging to a people where we are accepted and loved and where we can fall into the light when we feel like we're struggling and we are weak and we are sinful and the healing hasn't come. All those things, we are part of a community that strengthens us and allows us to live the way that we should. Now that our community exists, we, we can either throw ourselves in or we, we don't. We can live on the margins and enjoy the benefits of a Sunday service or we truly can throw ourselves into the midst of God's people so that it strengthens us to be engaged with our world. Is it all sitting all right with everybody? Um, so this passage that we're reading today is just reinforcing Peter the Apostle, his expectations of what life for a Christian in community should look like when we're under pressure, when we're in exile. How are we going to do that? question do you think that the church is coming under less pressure into the future or more pressure more think we're going to be marginalized more or less are we going to be hated more or less so therefore let's put into place now what we can put in place so we're ready for that all right here again, very, very, very carefully, when we talk about Christian community, when we talk about a community of people who follow Jesus, we are not talking about isolationists. We're not talking about buying a farm somewhere and growing our own stuff. We are talking about engaging our world, shopping where everyone else shops, going to the same theaters and the same businesses, the same everything. We engage them, but we engage them from a place of security and love where we are known and loved and cared for even when we screw up. Really important for us to get that. So, Peter says this, the end of all things is near. It's 2,000 years later, Peter, we're still around. You got it all wrong. Isn't that how we see it? I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is when we read that statement, it's not this termination of everything. The end is here, you know? I don't think that's what the text saying there. I think the Greek word is the word teleos which actually means the fulfillment of a plan, a season where something is being fulfilled. And what Peter is saying is that from the point of the resurrection of Jesus, because we read about this way back in chapter 1, verse 3, this living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. From that moment on, we are living in the final part of God's plan to restore all things back to himself both those things in heaven and those things on earth. That's his goal. And from the moment of Jesus' resurrection was a demonstration, oh, this is what new life will look like. 
in Jesus. And therefore, we have a living hope that we can anchor ourselves to knowing that he's coming back to take us to himself, whenever that is. So we, as much as Peter felt that they were living in the end is near times 2,000 years ago, so do we feel like that today. And there's no discrepancy between those two. We are living in the end season of what God is doing to restore heaven and earth back to himself. Does that make sense? Hope you get that. This is not a, oh, the end is near. Now we start predicting. It's going to happen on November the 19th. That's not what this is saying. No, it's going to happen in this season. We're in the season of what God is doing. So Peter's not referring to a termination point. He's referring to an era. He's referring to a, a season where God is revealing himself and showing us what that new life will look like. And so our identity and our security and our value and our self-worth and our everything is tied up in this future hope. We are rooted, which is kind of a strange way to say it, we are rooted in a future hope. And we've spoken about that a lot over the last weeks, and we're going to keep saying it. You know, as we are on Wednesdays, the, the memorial for Buzz here in L.A., yeah? we live in a future hope knowing that everything's going to be okay, we, we're going to all connect again, and we'll get new bodies, and we'll be made whole, and everything that's wrong with us will be dealt with, whether it's sickness or sin or bro whatever, it's going to be dealt with. It's a living hope. So that's where our security is for those who have received new life in Jesus. Um, so the encouragement that Peter's making, he says, because of this, because the end is near, we're in this end part of the game. Because we have a security and a living hope and we know what's going to happen, his encouragement is that we live a certain way. That our lifestyles, our behavior, should reflect the reality of that which we say we believe in or that which we hope for. It's no use saying, I hope that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all things new, and he's going to, but at the same time, I don't try and deal with sin in my own life. I just live as if nothing matters. Then hopefully the escape plan will work. That's not what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone following hard after Jesus, wanting to become like Jesus, wanting to do the things that Jesus did progressively over our lifetime. So over our lifetime, we see progress. We see growth. We see the healing that's in his hands in our different areas. We able, If we walk with him over our lifetime, we'll be able to draw from that healing into our lives and see brokenness restored, etc., etc. All right, so... It's important that we see this. So then Peter says, okay, I'm going to give you four things that will help you. Four practices, four ways to live Jesus' life so that community is strong and community is truly representative of what Jesus wanted and expected and is actually coming back for. So he's coming back for us, not only us, the whole church. He's coming back for us. What's he going to find? Will he find faith on the earth, as Jesus said? Or will they just find us doing our own thing? Hopefully, we snuck in. So there's four things. Be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. Persist in love for one another, a love that covers sin. Be graciously hospitable to fellow believers without complaining. 
and serve one another with the gifts of grace you've received. Four things we can do. It's encouraging. So you guys want to come through? Practice these things. Um, so are we allowing the end to govern our now? Can you ask yourself that question? Are you allowing the living hope to govern the very way that you live now? Or do you live now still, or do I, not you, we, do we still live now in the ways of the world around us rather than the ways that Jesus wants us to live, knowing that it's a change over a lifetime? And Peter's saying, rather than kind of wrestle through all this turmoil and confusion and, oh, in, your, in your life, no, get clarity of thinking. How does he say it here? Get alert and be sober-minded. Think through these things. The faith that we've anchored ourselves into is not irrational. It's not pie in the sky. It's not weird. It's not, no, it's, it's, there's, there's a rationality behind it. it, it we can anchor ourselves in something real. Think about it. Get clear thinking. Be alert about these things. For the reason so that you can pray. Isn't that an interesting one? No, you should be alert so that you can witness. You should be alert so that you can, no, so that you can pray. Why is that important? Why would he want us to pray? Because if we, if, if we are not sober-minded, if we are not alert, if we haven't cleared our thinking about these things, prayer just becomes wishful thinking. But when I'm clear-minded, knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead, that Jesus has gone to prepare a way, that Jesus one day is coming back to restore all things in heaven and on earth back to himself, I can then pray with assurance. I can then pray with faith, because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. I can pray with faith. Make sense? Buzz doesn't need faith right now. I don't think he's even praying. It's gone. He's just chatting. Because once you've transitioned, you no longer need faith. Because you're with God. We need it now. We need to pray now. We need to pray for right relationships now. We need to pray into those things. Why? So that we are preparing and we are ready for what Jesus wants to do when he restores all things. And it might not be in our physical lifetime right now. But guess what? It might. Don't know. But I want to still be ready for whatever it might be. Um, so Peter writing in the few verses before that that we covered last week. Uh, let's read verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. He says, no, no, stop doing that. Get clear thinking. Get, sound, get a sound mind. Focus. Get onto the right things. Stop doing that stuff. You've had enough of that. It leads to death. It doesn't lead to life. On Monday night, I'll give you an example. John and I met with Buzz and Jess's lawyer in Nashville. We had a wonderful meal. Thank you, John. And we sat there till 1230 
And um, eventually the bartender even joined us because everyone else was gone. And we, had, and we had a little wonderful conversation about different things, but we spoke a lot about God. But at the same time, we did partake of certain liquids. <laughs> exactly. I woke up drowning. But I, this is the point. When I woke up the next morning, I didn't feel clear-minded. I got up and went to Starbucks to have coffee. Just in the process of having a wonderful God. I, and I realized, so in the past, I would just do that every night. long. Oh, but you, you lose your ability to think clearly. You're giving up time that can be used for wise things like engaging with people in a wonderful way, with loving your kids or loving your wife or having the neighbors over or something. Now, am I advocating you should not have something to drink? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you keep doing that sort of stuff, it dulls you. We don't want to be dulled people. We want to be alert. Why? Because we want to be ready. We want to make the most of every opportunity. Now, the sidebar to that, it was a wonderful evening of God. All right? So that was good. So I'll, I'll, I'll put it as a, as a tick rather than as a cross. So Peter's basically saying, could you rather live in a way that, that motivates prayer rather than a complacent fatalism? I'm, gonna, I'm going to engage God rather than just waiting whatever will be, will be. I'm going to engage God in prayer. And I'm going to engage my neighbor by praying for them. I'm going to engage the person at work by praying for them. I'm going to engage this relationship that, that I began with last Monday with the lawyer. I'm going to pray for him. Why? Because God wants to do something amazing. He wants us an engagement with others. Acts chapter 2 tells us one of the first things the believers did when they gathered was to pray. A non-judgmental question. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Not only should we be alert, sober-minded that we might pray, we should also have a love that covers a multitude of sins. Now, Jesus said in the Gospels that at the, there would come a time when people's faith would grow cold and they would fall away. I don't know if we're living in that time. Maybe we are. If it's, if it's all the end times, then yes, we are. And Peter's saying if, if we really want to persist, if we really want to grow, if we really want to come out the other side the way that Jesus wanted us to come out, we need to persist in loving one another. Persist in loving one another no matter what. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says this. Hatred, I'm reading the NIV, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. So if hatred is the opposite of love in that verse... Then the phrase covers a multitude of sins suggests that the sense of covering and the stirring up of dissension are also opposites. Read that again. Hatred stirs up dissension, hatred and dissension, 
but love covers up wrongs, the, the opposites of that, all right? So if, if love covers sins, it's most probably not saying, oh, um, Justin uh, did this horrendous sin. Let's just cover it up. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's saying is that there's a warning to not let the wrongs done within the community come to their full expression. No, we, we learn to confess them. We learn to fall into the light. We learn to acknowledge them early. We learn not at the last moment, oh my goodness, let's cover up. We don't want to be seen as, no, we're Christians. Let's just cover it up. No, just allow it to be in community, fall into the light, and let it not run its full course because love covers a multitude of sins. So when you, are, when you feel like you have sinned and you've done wrong, you have the freedom to come in community where love is abounding and say, I've messed up. And people put their arms around you and say, let's work it out together. The only time you put people out of community is when they refuse to submit themselves to the work of God in the people of God and come out the other side healed. But when someone screws up, and they are willing and saying, I've messed up, help me. Love covers that sin. And we stand with our brother or our sister, no matter what they've done. Is that right? Can we do that? Can we just learn to be at peace in community and say, I've messed up. And please forgive me. Would you help me come out the other side? And there's no judgment. Like Jesus, we, we just say, like, you without sin, can you, you judge first. You throw the first stone. You do it. No, we can't do that. Because love, if we trust that love, if we engage that love, if we embrace that love, that love covers us and says it's going to be okay. Don't wait until the last moment. If you're struggling with something, let somebody know early so that they can help you. Not at the last moment when it feels like, oh, what are we going to do now? I'll leave that. That's all right. Do you get the point? So love is not this kind of, oh, I love you. So warm and fuzzy. Ooh, teddy bear love. Taking a little... At the memorial on, what day was it? Thursday. Tuesday, sorry. I, I, last Tuesday in Nashville, um, Keith Urban got up to sing a song, but he shared a little bit, and he spoke about, he said, Buzz is like a bear. And he said, he's like a grizzly bear sometimes. Other times, he's like a panda bear, and he's like a polar bear, and he's like a teddy bear. And he went through all these bears, and everyone going, yeah, we, we, we have these moments where, as a bear, we had these Little moments. It's all right, Benjamin. It's okay. Fall into the light. It's okay. We acknowledge your sin. <laughs> it was a wonderful thing. Then someone said at lunch afterwards, they should have said a gummy bear. <laughs> but I forgot that one. All right. it's, but this love is just not a warm and fuzzy. That's not its essence. It's, it's a way of loving that promotes unity 
and allows us to break through where we're having conflict and bad behavior. And it's the love that says, spills, you need a change. It's, that's not good behavior. And he says, ah, oh, he loves me. I can hear that because he knows. We've said this before, but if I have to say to you, spills, I want to tell you something, but I want you first to know I love you, then I don't. He should know that I love him. If I don't love him, don't say anything. But don't preface it with, I want you to know I love you. And then hammer him. That's not, that's not good practice. That's not good practice. One of, the, one of the things that I feel like we should deal with mostly is this issue of taking offense. We are really, really good at it as Americans. Taking offense very easily over the slightest things. Someone looks at you and you, why did you look at, what's your problem? I mean, it's crazy. Let's, let's, I mean, they can do that. Let's not do it in here. And when you're out there, don't do it. Because they're expecting you to just be the same as them and you'll take offense and you'll cuss them out. and Don't do it. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Let's not take offense. Let's not do backbiting. Let's not do all those things that just undermine the integrity of what it means to be a community, a people. The quickest way to undermine us is just get a rumor started. Do you know what Brian said and it goes let's not do that just stop love now in our time we've seen church splits and congregations alienated over trivial issues you know we had a church split in 2002 who was here John was here Nancy was here Brian was here you just sort of come in we had a church split. We lost three quarters of the people over kind of one issue is that a person loved to challenge me and then one day I decided to challenge them. Who are you? You hate women. Little things. But you see, little things often touch deeper things inside of us. And so if we would allow the love of God and the love of brothers and sisters to break into those deep areas and let them be exposed and say, this is an area I struggle with, then we'll actually got more chance of coming out the other side. Because there's something about each one of us that rubs us up the wrong way, no matter how much we love each other. It just is. But if we set our hearts and our minds with clear-minded, sober-minded, way of dealing with things and we pray for one another and that we love in a way that covers will actually come out the other side whole and will actually be a good witness to a broken world that say actually this community thing really works it really really works gracious hospitality we don't have to talk much about that just that ability of open home using your homes wisely for the sake of the kingdom, for being a place of ministry, a place to exercise that great love, welcoming people in, whether they're from the church or outside. The very context here would have been that the church was meeting in homes because they were under persecution. They couldn't meet in the public places. 
In Acts 2, you see them meeting in the public places because it was still kind of a Jewish sect. As it grows later, they get started getting forced out of the public places. That's what's happening in L.A. and all that. We slowly, the church is being forced out of the public places. There's a movement to get churches out of schools. Right now in L.A. City, there are 350 churches that meet in schools. It's not revenue that generates for the school district. But there's a movement to push because saying churches should not be in public spaces, that's a compromise of separation of church and state. If that happens, you can't meet in community centers, you can't meet in parks, any of that. We'll be back in our homes. So we need to exercise hospitality. Practice now. You know, Practice stocking up your fridge with a few things for some people. Um, Gifts of grace as acts of service. Whatever God's given you, are you using it to, for the benefit of God's people as well as out there? It's who you are as a person. Is it helping someone to grow in Jesus? All right, it's okay, guys. Oh, no. <laughs> Paul said this in Colossians. He said, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, your speech and your actions kind of represents your whole being. In all of those, do it unto the glory of God. And if you have a gift of hospitality, to do it unto the glory of God is not to stay at home and just have the seat for Elijah at your chair and say, if you want to come, Lord, come. No, it's saying, I'm going to invite others to eat with me. As unto the Lord. If your gift is encouragement, don't just pray and say, Lord, I just want to encourage you. You're so amazing. No, go and encourage someone and say, you can come through this. Encourage us. Put in on courage. You are able to make it. Whatever your gift is, exercise it into the community and into the world. And if we live like that, glory will come to Jesus, which is the end goal of everything. You know, to live unto the glory of Jesus is, is actually not easy um, because our world doesn't like to hear about Jesus very much anymore. They just don't. To live to the glory of Jesus sometimes means making decisions and changes to your life that family, friends, colleagues don't like. Sometimes saying no to things they don't want you to say no to. Sometimes it's saying yes to things they don't want you to say yes to. That this wise old man, Peter, who's seen a lot, been through a lot. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down in Rome. He says, no, you, we can do this if we would stick with the plot. And I want to encourage you, stick with the plot. Can I say that? Would you hear and act upon the words of Jesus? The scripture from Luke, the sower and the seeds. Is the seed, what ground is the seed falling on? Does it sound good and then tomorrow the worries of life just choke it? Or are we wrestling through to come out the other side? The end of the day, this text is telling us how to love people. 
primarily starting within the community and then outside because telling us how to love people for the sake of the future of what God is wanting to do. And as I did in Nashville, I'm going to close with that line. A buzz wrote a song, people loving people. That's the enemy of everything that's evil. People loving people. It's the enemy of everything that's evil. Can we practice? Can we practice? Can we make mistakes and keep going? Loving people. Doesn't matter who they are. Loving people. As we come to the table, thank you, Spills, for always doing that. It's people loving people. It's Jesus loving us by giving his life up for us, having his body broken, having his blood shed. It's uh, something to be celebrated as a past event and something to be anticipated of a future event when Jesus will come back and make everything right. It's us taking, remembering this broken body and the shed blood saying actually the world is broken and bruised Jesus has got something to say into that and the way he's going to say it is through you and I bringing good news that Jesus loves the words of Jesus a wise person hears the words and puts them into practice and when the storms come The house that he built out of that wisdom does not fall down. But a foolish person, if someone hears the words and doesn't put them into practice, he built his house upon the sand. It's going to... I watched a YouTube video, this is my closing point the other day, of a little kid that had built a sandcastle. And then the tide came in. And that little kid threw a tantrum. It is possible that one day we'll all throw tantrums because what we built is gone. We are in the end season of whatever God's doing, however long that takes. Build it wisely. Do wisely. Build upon rock. And all you have to do is hear the things that Jesus says and put them into practice.